Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture lesson this morning will be taken both from the book of Amos, the 5th and 6th chapter, some selected passages, and also from the book of Revelation. The place we will start reading will be in the 18th verse of the 5th chapter. The great prophet Amos is speaking, he is saying, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. It as if a man fled from a lion, and a bear met him, or went into his house, and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. You know, that's an impossible situation, isn't it? There's just no way you can get out of that one. Now with the 20th verse. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feast. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and cereal offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fatted beast, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs and the melody of your harps. I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Sixth chapter. The fourth verse. Woe to those who lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat lambs from the flocks and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp and like David invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine from bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. And then the revelator, three verses before the book is closed and God's word is finished to man. These last words. Jesus is speaking and saying, Behold, I am coming, bringing my recompense to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right of the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and fornicators and murderers and altars, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, let him who desires take the water of life without price. Oh God, help us to understand. Now, dear ones, let's get to the serious thing that we came here to do, and that is to worship our Lord and try to understand what he is saying to us today and how we might be able to address ourselves more perfectly uh, toward the church, the kingdom 
and our responsibility. Now, the two scriptures that I would like for you to keep in mind is where the prophet calls. Now, I must understand that God is talking to his people. Now, if there be one here this morning that does not know Christ as their personal Savior and Lord, you understand that this is not for you. God was addressing his people before you would be qualified to come under the heading of God speaking to you, you would have to be listed as God's person. It is here both in the book of Amos and the book of Revelation that God is addressing himself to his people. This is a matter of the family of God. And he says here, keep it in mind, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness strike an ever-flowing stream. And then the revelator, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty come. And let him who desires take the water of life freely. Now, dear ones, in principle and attitude, and in theory, there's not one shade of difference between what Amos is saying 2,000 years before the revelator than what the revelator was trying to say to the church. There's not one shade of difference. He's addressing himself to the people who name the name of God. Now let me hurry on to say that we rehearse with you again. You know our young brother Bob that, that works so hard out here as one of the ushers at our early service. One thing he said to me, he's a smart young man. He said to me, he said, preacher, you just preach too long. Now I'm cutting out half of this, you bear with me. It may be a little jerky and jumpy, but we're going to leave part of this out because he's smart and he knows what he's talking about, and I agree with him. It's too long, so now we're cutting it out. Okay. But we live in a prophetic time. I am conscious of it more than I've ever been in my life. Now, I simply mean by that that we live in a day of when the Scripture is being fulfilled within our lives. There is not an analyst of our age and our time that what doesn't predict a change. Many of them are telling us uh, that it is one of doom. It is one of destruction. The society and the culture that you and I know today has a possibility, those who are not orientated to Christ, especially are saying that it will be completely and totally destroyed. That there's going to be some type of a cataclysmic experience within our society that's going to rearrange the whole order of things as you and I know it today. The scripture tells us that in the latter days that there will be great trials and tribulations that will fall upon the church. And dear ones, has there ever been a time since the beginning of the church that the church has ever been in a greater straits than today? I do not care what minister you talk to, whether he be of the Baptist persuasion, Catholic persuasion, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, whatever. The ones that I've talked to all speak with a single, solitary voice. Never in their lifetime has it ever been so difficult for the church that it is today in which you and I live. Now, dear ones, let me say to you quickly, the scripture is speaking of a time when the hardness shall fall upon the church, that there will be great trials and tribulation, and there will be desertion, and people will leave the church. And while the time that this is all going on, there will be a strange phenomenon taking place within the church. And this strange phenomenon will be this, 
that if every time the church finds itself in its the greatest straits, will be the time of the greatest manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to know that as far as I'm personally concerned without reading any books, but they all agree, the ones that I'm reading. But it is my experience also, there has never been in my lifetime in the church where there is a greater demonstration today of the Holy Spirit. At the same time, we find this other strange thing going on where the church is being empowered, the remnant that it speaks of in the Old and both the New Testament, that they will be empowered, the faithful will become more faithful. And those who are not so committed will drift aside. Those who are committed will be able to experience the power of the Holy Spirit like they have never experienced it before. That is a fact. In our lifetime, today, I am not talking about something that is past. And in this hour in which we live, it is also noted that the seeds of destruction are sown within the church. I do not know what you think about a personal devil or an evil spirit, but there is one, whether it be personified within the devil, or whether it be a loose evil spirit upon the face of this earth, there is such a thing. And that evil spirit is doing its very best to become a part and parcel of the church. Find it among us, seeking who he may devour, as the revelator speaks of it, to find where he can cause his difficulty and hardship. Not only are the seeds of destruction sown within the church, the seeds of salvation are sown in the same field. Now isn't that interesting? There is a Savior that God has sent into this world that is much a part of the church. Now there takes a decision to make the difference between whether you will be listed among those who claim or whether you will not. It takes a decision. If I had anything to say to an uncommitted person here this morning, it would be you need to fully recognize the fact that you will not get into the kingdom of God simply because you know a Christian or because your father is or your mother is or someone else dear and close to you. Because the seeds of destruction is sown within your life just as surely as it's sown within the church. And it will take a decision on your part, a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ to make the difference. To make the difference. The time is upon us when we will be tested like we have never been tested before. Now let me return to the scriptures quickly. You see, when, when Amos was prophesying, it was a time like ours in their day. Uh, they were the country, Israel was in a time of plenty. And you heard the scripture this morning, the way he describes it. He says that you're able to, anytime you want to, to go into to your flocks and have a lamb for your meal. Now you got to understand that they had no way of refrigeration. And so they had to kill a new one every day. But it was so plentiful that they could afford to do it. It was so plentiful that they could afford to kill a young calf every day if they desired to do so. The grapes had been so plentiful, the wine flowed like water. They no more used the, the wine goblet, you see, but they used bowls to drink out of because it was so plentiful. Everything was plentiful. And not only that, were they limited to their own time and their own culture and their own space, rather. 
Uh, but they had the power to bring in luxuries from other countries. The beds of ivory. Do you see what Amos is saying? You have plenty. Everything is going good on the surface. It looks so wonderful and so fine. He says, but there's a cancer that is eating at your soul that is as deadly and as destructive as anything that has ever laid hold of a human being or hold of God's people. Now, why is this so? Was it because they were having such luxury? No, that's not what he's saying. It's not because of this. In fact, he is saying the other thing. He is saying that this is a gift of God to you. God has done this. Your sin is not that you're able to afford all these beautiful and wonderful things. Your sin is not that you're able to participate in the wonderful things of life. This is none other than a gift of God to you. He says, but the thing that is wrong is that you are not concerned. Nine words reveal their sickness, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Now what is he trying to say? What is he trying to say? You're not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. This is the fatal disease that has laid hold of your soul. I remember a young lady about 15 to 16 years of age. Every time she'd ride a bicycle or play softball that she'd have an intense pain in her side. Just more than she could take. And they would do all kinds of things to help her get over that pain. And so after a while, decided that that would be a good thing. Because she played ball, I said, why don't you go and have that sad x-ray? And so she did. And lo and behold, the x-ray showed some kind of foreign object in her side. And then they had the family remembered that when she was just a youngster, that she had fallen on a milk bottle. And that milk bottle had broken and pierced her side. And the x-ray showed a large piece of that milk bottle glass in her side. When the surgeon removed that piece of glass, no more problem. The glass, the foreign matter that is in the soul of God's people when Amos was talking to them was simply that they were not concerned or grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Now, what in the world was he talking about? Three things quickly I want to say he's talking about. He says, you are people of spiritual ingratitude. And gratitude. You're the most ungrateful people, Amos said to Israel, that God has ever brought forth. Has there ever been a more casual attitude toward God and His kingdom and churchmanship than in this day in which we live? Has there ever been a greater need in the history of the church than today for dynamic, creative, committed discipleship? What type of churchman are you? What type of disciple are you? What type should you be? The way that God has blessed you. You see, this man is talking about a dedication and a commitment to God. Where does God come in the scheme of things for your life? One has written, this is where they come. Far smarter than I am in the average person's life today. God comes after my family, my work, my recreation, then the church, and then God. Amos said this is the wrong order. You've got it backwards. That God should come first. A man came on 2,000 years after him that we know is the son of God. He said exactly the same thing. He said in the scheme and the order of your life that God should come first. 
Any man that puts any of these things before his God is not worthy of the kingdom of God. Where does Christian discipleship come? You see, when it comes to the place where it becomes a choice, we think we have a right whether or not to do it. We have drifted. When serving God becomes to us nothing more than a feeling, whether we feel like it or not, we have drifted. When discipleship and self-denial ceases to be a way of life, we have drifted. The beds of ivory, the lamb, the wine. You deny him his part? Do you deny him his part after he has blessed us so? You see, these people of long ago, Israel, as Amos makes it so very pointed, they had lost their ability to be challenged. They had lost their ability to be challenged. It was easier to get mad at the prophet than to listen to what he had to say. It was easier to object to him than to give some consideration to what he had to say. It was easy for them to quit than it was to sweat for God. It was easier to discredit the messenger than to accept his message. If you would read that, you would find the most startling, interesting situation. Amaziah was a priest, the high priest. Jeroboam was a king. And when Amos came over from Judah, the line of Judah, the book of Revelation talks about the line of Judah. Do you know who was identified as the line of Judah? In the Old Testament among God's people, Amos, this unlettered man. And the king and the high priest called him in. And said to him, you have filled our country with this nonsense. And you have confused our people. And you are a troublemaker. Now why don't you get yourself together and go back over in Judah or Samaria and preach to those pagans over there. Don't you come around here causing us any trouble. Our dear ones, this would be funny if it was not so serious. I received many letters this past week, all of them wonderful, beautiful. I received this note in the mail, no name attached to it. If his name attached to it, I would not read it because I would not embarrass anyone. And this is not read to embarrass anyone, but to speak to a point that is what is happening to us who name God as our God. Let me read it. It says, Reverend C, please, could you stop referring to the congregation as dear ones? I feel that is a term for your wife and your children. And Jesus said, who is my family? My mother, my brother, my sister. The Apostle Paul was more intimate. He said, Dearly beloved, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if I can figure out what a holy kiss was, I think I tried. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. But anyway, it goes on. Also, you are the best manipulator we have ever had to deal with. I pray that we will be able to stay a jump ahead of you until you are moved. Best they've had. Well, you've had two preachers, Brother Bill and Brother Charles. 
Now, if I have to be shot with someone, you pick out either one of them, they're the, some of them, two of the most wonderful men I know. Their integrity, their commitment. As I know, those two men are unpeachable. I'm only saying that's to make a point. Dear ones, has the wheels of time turned? Until we come to the place where no more the call of a challenge can be presented to us without us discrediting the one who brings the message. All of this over prompted such agony of heart and soul over the buying and the selling of a house. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. My God, what will I do? Oh, what will I do when it comes to the place that we as a church have to make a decision that tears at our heart and tears at our soul? What will we do? I tremble to think that we would lay our soul bare and that we would turn upon ourselves and that we would be so inconsiderate and understanding and lack of understanding among God's people. Now my friends, let me say to you, I know what it is to have to make an awesome decision and I know that there's time that your soul is laid bare. Oh, I, I know. I've been in those places. I've been in those places. I remember a personal decision that I had to make in relation to my son. When he was about six years of age, he came into this world for some reason. He was, would not be able to walk as a healthy person. And so we had several operations. But one operation we had the night before, when I passed his room, I heard him in there crying softly. So I went into the room, sat down on the bed, and tried to talk with him. Well, he was so young, he was only about six or seven. I couldn't tell him how pretty the nurses were. <laughs> Later on I could, but not then, you know. And I tried my best to help him to understand what the situation was. And after I had said everything that, was, that I could say, he looked at me, as you have experienced it as a parent, straight into my eye and said, yes. Preacher, the kid never had a father. He always had a preacher. He said, yes, preacher, but what if I die? Six months before, a young lady that had to have a tonsillectomy from near our part of the country never recovered from being put to sleep. Terrible decision. Awesome. Tear at your soul. Ripped at your heart. You don't know which is best, but you got to trust God. You want to see be healthy and strong. Play ball if he has a mind to. Hunt in the field with those, those outdoorsmen. Stand up and walk as best he can as a man. An awesome decision we have to make from time to time within the church. My friend, there's a chilling breeze that blows across the church today that is enough to freeze your soul. The most staggering. You know what Amos was driving at? The most staggering and sobering fact today, as it was in the day of Amos, is upon us. The most staggering, sobering fact of the church today is the hardness of our hearts and the deadness of our conscience. George Washington said, labor to keep alive in your breast a little spark of a 
celestial power known as a conscience. And my friend, when it dies, and when it turns cold and hard, it's gone. We're all gone. It's finished. It's done. Now there's only one place upon the face of this God-given earth that I know that our spirit can be comforted, can be recreated, and come again. I cannot believe that it's the intention of any person that is committed to Christ and to God. No person in this church but what doesn't have the intent of serving God to the best of his ability. Yesterday was yesterday. Whatever happened, whether it was right or wrong, whether it was right or wrong, makes little difference today. It's gone forever. We can't do anything about it. But today, I can dress myself to do what the prophet said. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty flowing stream. I can listen to John the Revelator. And I can hear him say as he speaks for the Lord Jesus Christ, let any man who hears come. Let him who is a thirst for his soul in his life come and take of the water of life freely because it's free, paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear ones, I do not know and I do not want to keep you too long. But as we sing this closing hymn, I want to stand here at this altar. If I could kneel, I would kneel. Those of you who sense the rightness of the call of Amos, those of you who sense the rightness of the call of John the Revelator to the church, would you meet me here at this altar and pray that God would have his way with us? Whatever that might be, I don't know what it is. And would you come and pray for your preacher? Will you play? Stay a minute. Or you can stay here and we'll be dismissed from the altar here. But let me say, if you have on your mind something that you would like to quietly say to someone, as we come and present ourselves, not to one another, but to our God as his people, this would be the time to do it. First of all, while you play quietly, we're going to come to this altar. Come, if you will pray for your preacher to do what needs to be done today within the kingdom. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.